All right, Doug, you can hear me? Sounded good. Okay, let's give everyone a couple minutes. Y'all know the drill. I have failed in my Twitter hiatus because of all the shenanigans the month of August. I did want to take the month of August off, but not in the cards. Not in the cards, I guess. Um, thank you all for joining. I want to make this interactive and invite some folks on stage when we have the opportunities. I see a couple good speakers in here uh, from Zcash Foundation, a couple folks from the policy side. We'll see who is in a position to, uh, to step up and say something. I know, um, obviously, sensitive topic uh, topics, plural. Um, primarily, uh, we're going to talk tonight about what's going on with the tornado cash ban uh, and why it's so important. Just kind of break down the legalese uh, and, uh, and some of the coming issues that I think we're going to face on the privacy side. A pretty unprecedented uh, move by the U.S. Treasury that I think has uh, some, some really dangerous repercussions and, and, and potential downstream impact and, and maybe not the last negative event that we, uh, we see on the side of things uh, when it comes to private transactions and, um, and general pseudonymity and, and encryption uh, protections for folks that are trying to keep their transactions private. So um, we're talking mostly about that, um, but uh, we should also maybe talk quickly about all the recent hacks and attacks and the um, Coinbase earnings, which were today. So a bunch of big news items. Uh, we'll go through the first couple pretty quickly because I know everybody wants to talk about the, uh, the uh, Tornado Cash event from the last 48 hours. And it's, it's uh, pretty important that people have a good understanding of, uh, of what's going on there. If you're an American, do not send money like an asshole to those sanctioned wallet addresses, smart contract addresses. It is not going to be funny when the government knocks on your door. This is a big no-no, so uh, I'd encourage you, please, uh, not to do that and do not tempt fate. I'll talk about that uh, in, in a couple minutes. But first, oh, my God, days since last incident encountered, always zero. Today, the curve front-end was down for a little bit. Um, last week, we had a $180 million hack of the Nomad um, bridge. Uh, we've had... Some security vulnerabilities in um, Solana wallets. Uh, Slope uh, had a, a, a pretty uh, terrible personal wallet exploits um, where uh, private keys were essentially shared in plain text. Oops. Um, Nomad uh, did a 
security updates uh, or smart contract update and uh, forgot to set the default uh, address that allowed for uh, a replay. I don't even remember the, the, the technicals here. I'm not a developer. I just know that uh, every single day there is something new and some new edge case and uh, we don't pay security researchers enough. It's about time that we think about what token governed circuit breakers would look like. I think I'll probably get shot at uh, for suggesting something um, so sacrilegious, but uh, I do think circuit breakers might be a good idea going forward while we are in the beta stage and coming out of the cradle with decentralized finance because the amount of money that is getting lost, the amount of money that's getting stolen is not good for anybody. And, uh, and I, I bring that up at the onset because I think uh, that, that ultimately feeds into what we're going to talk about with Tornado Cash, given that uh, about a billion five of the seven and a half billion to nine billion that's gone through Tornado Cash so far, again, those are estimates, um, seem to be from illicit activity and a good chunk of that from the North Korean hacking groups potentially, or at least allegedly. So um, if you look at the Ronin Bridge attack, Nomad last week, a few other exploits. Um, this is all related. We gotta we gotta tighten up our security, uh, use your ledgers, and uh, please take care of yourself out there. Do not invest more than you can afford to lose, because it might get swiped from you, um, or it'll just go down catastrophically. Speaking of down catastrophically, now it's a bad joke. Um, Coinbase earnings was uh, was also today. They have lost about a billion five in cash the first six months of the year. It's not necessarily uninspected. Um, SBF had a good thread uh, that kind of breaks down the, uh, the Coinbase earnings, not entirely accurate, and, and had a couple of uh, mix-ups in there, which I'll, I'll go into in a second. But um, I think uh, he, he definitely uh, gets a little bit excited when he can see his competitors financials and, and full reporting, and, and he doesn't have to do any of that because he's still a private company. So, um, that uh, it's a good thread. I, I encourage you to check out. Big things that stood out to me for uh, for Coinbase: eighty three percent of their revenue is in the U S. still, so they are getting crushed by being U S. native, and they're not getting any love from the U S. regulators either. So this this SEC battle over some of the insider trading cases, uh, you know, they're basically taking all the arrows here with with very limited upside because they they've kind of hitched their wagon and, and have almost all their exposure to the U S. markets. Um, the, uh, you know, aside from uh, just the headwinds on the SEC fronts, uh, the other surprising thing is they are still about 600 million of their 800 million reported revenue was uh, from the retail uh, trading transaction fees versus only about 40 million on the institutional side. You'd expect that to tick up with the BlackRock announcement from last week for Q3 and, and Q4 and beyond, um, but it is still a very retail heavy revenue stream that they have, uh, very U.S. centric. And, um, and, and I think people are, are kind of slowly waiting to see, A, if they'll be able to stop the bleeding, uh, thanks to the layoffs and, and some of the other cost-cutting exercises they're doing. And then B, are they going to be able to grow the services revenue? And this is where uh, SBF had a comment uh, in his thread that I think was inaccurate. You know, he basically talks about, um, hey, Coinbase has $150 million of non-transaction revenue. Uh, for the quarter, but that's basically ephemeral because most of that is paid right back to the customers uh, that are, are doing the staking with them. Uh, that is technically true. 
Uh, I think Coinbase gets between 20, 30% of the staking rewards uh, that they reported, which is about $250 million annually gross. So if you net that out, uh, probably about you know, 50 to, to 60 million. But remember, that is not really including anything from the Ethereum merge, which is upcoming. And they have $20 billion of ETH um, on the balance sheet at the end of the quarter. So a little bit higher than that now. And um, they also are uh, going to get a, a pretty uh, significant tailwind from the um, well, from, from, from the merge uh, and, and potentially from additional uh, smart money investors uh, piling in through the, the BlackRock integration. So if they can keep uh, upping that assets under cu uh, custody mark, it, uh, it should be uh, pretty lucrative for them. The quick and dirty math on this is for $20 billion of assets under, uh, on, on platform, 5% staking would be about a billion dollars for investors or about a quarter million net um, for for Coinbase as a company. So it's not nothing. It's certainly uh, more material than I think um, SBS Thread led on. And, uh, and then they got a few other bets in there that are slowly chipping away at the dominance of the retail fees. But it's still sort of very retail heavy. So we'll see what happens given how deep and, and gnarly some of these uh, winter markets can get. All right. So uh, there's a big couple of things. The um, uh, But now that we've got a, a critical mass of folks that are signed up here. Everyone wants to talk about Tornado Cash. Let's talk about Tornado Cash. Okay, so uh, what happened? The Treasury's OFAC office, office? I think so, office, one of the divisions of, of the Treasury, Office for Foreign Asset Control, which is responsible for sanctions, uh, announced that they're going to be sanctioning 45 ETH addresses related to the Tornado uh, Cash Network. And um, and uh, OFAC basically is is... There's a few different divisions of Treasury. Uh, there's FinCEN, uh, which which you know you all have maybe heard. This is like AML KYC. Um, obviously, there's the IRS uh, and, and and kind of related entities that are, are responsible for audits. But OFAC is specifically responsible for sanction policy. So for any you know folks or nations that are suspected of terrorism or um, or kind of enemy states or, or kind of rogue actors. Um, this is the division of the Treasury that essentially tries to cut them off from the financial system and, and, and mandates that no U.S. citizen can uh, materially support these entities in any way whatsoever. This is a big no-no. Um, and in particular, they manage this list called the, the SDN list, Specially Designated Nationals. Um, and uh, this SDN list is, is all of the individuals historically that you can't transact with. Um, the... Uh, there, there's previous precedent for some crypto wallets uh, being targeted. So uh, a few years ago, there was a couple Bitcoin addresses that were tied to some Iranian hackers. Um, but again, these the addresses were kind of known um, to be associated with two ransomware um, hackers, entrepreneurs, uh, I guess, in, in, in Iran. Uh, and, uh, and And so... There was a, an individual element here. And then you know, earlier this year, there was a custodial mixer um, where uh, addresses were, were similarly, uh, similarly blacklisted and, and uh, those addresses and smart contracts were out of the uh, OFAC list. But importantly, you know, that service was, because it was a custodial service, you, you had some individuals that could be tied to it. Um, this is unique because uh, the addresses in question were all part of the decentralized Tornado Cash you know, network and, and kind of peer-to-peer -peer library. So this is all non-custodial mixing software, uh, and it's essentially not a ban on a person, but it's a ban on 
the use of software. Um, and and this, is, this is truly a first. Um, before uh, we go into whether or not this is a good thing, for starters, uh, I want to remind you again, do not mess uh, with the U.S. government or with the Treasury. If you are an American, do not transact with the assets and contracts on this list because uh, we just had a very high-profile person go to jail for five years. Virgil Griffin, uh, Virgil Griffith from the Ethereum Foundation, um, was uh, he actually pled down a, 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 a even more uh, egregious potential uh, jail term that he, he was facing for uh, teaching a one-on-one course on cryptocurrencies in North Korea. So uh, North Korea is on the OFAC sanctions list. It's a no-no to actually help any actors in that country financially or otherwise. And um, if he spoke at a conference and got in trouble, you do not want to send something from your .eth as a ha-ha because uh, they ultimately won't laugh and you are subject to uh, strict liability. Um, doesn't even necessarily matter if you have negative intent or uh, I don't think there's de minimis uh, exemptions or, or, or filters on OFAC uh, compliance. So it's it's one of those like just don't do it uh, or, or you're going to be in a world of hurt. So now we're, you know the, the big thing is where do we go from here? Um, I think this is ultimately going to get this is going to play out in the courts. It's going to have to. Um, and you know, there's some First Amendment uh, kind of constitutional issues that are, are going to see their day in court for the first time. I don't really think that there's a, a speedy resolution to this because uh, generally speaking, courts and the general public uh, have, for better or for worse, uh, ceded a tremendous amount of, of you know, privacy rights to the federal government when it comes to things like national security. So, um, you know, this is uh, maybe a relic of the post 9-11 world, but there is very high tolerance for privacy intrusion, civil liberty intrusions when it comes to national security. And uh, the U.S. government has basically said it is dangerous uh, for tornado cash contracts to exist because something like 20 percent of the transactions that have gone through have been used for illicit um, finance. And um, and we just can't have that uh, type of scaled criminal activity cloaked uh, from uh, from, you know, our, our surveillance apparatus. Uh, what that, you know, Ultimately means uh, I'm going to leave to a couple of the other speakers that uh, that have requested uh, that they uh, they join this conversation. I see a couple of lawyers in here, a couple of other policy people, but um, the the thing that's on my mind, aside from this just being a you know one of the first really major uh, constitutional issues that I think we're going to have to try in court. This is not the only criminalization of software usage or, or, or privacy that we've seen this year, and it, it seems to be. Uh, swelling and, and getting worse, not better. So yeah, the other thing to keep an eye on is what's going on in uh, in the EU um, and domestically um, with uh, with the travel rule and, and and reporting requirements on on peer to peer transactions. And in the EU, uh, there's a new uh, transfer of funds regulation that's going into effect to replace the travel rule. And and generally speaking, it, it's going to require people to self-report uh, identity and, and and ensure that on both sides of the transaction you have full identity for the people that you're transacting with. Um, and, uh, and, and that's a general reporting requirement regardless of, uh, or of whether or not there's you know, any suspicion of, of criminal behavior. Um, the, uh, the U S obviously we, uh, we had the infrastructure bill last year and there's the 60 50 I provision, which is similar. It, it just creates really onerous self-reporting restrictions and, and you could potentially chill peer to peer transactions and commerce. Um, 
But, uh, you know, you add these things up and uh, you have a combination of uh, direct individual potential exposure and, and criminal liability for uh, conducting any activity in these networks on the one hand, and also uh, just the chilling effect that we've seen with, uh, with third parties uh, shut down access to tornado cash and, and anything that is, uh, that is on the OFAC list or, or, or seems untoward. So this happened with USDC. Um, Jeremy Allaire had a good thread talking about this being a battleground issue and uh, ultimately Circle and Coinbase's hands being tied when it comes to OFAC compliance and, and basically freezing the uh, any USDC uh, going into or, or out of those tornado cash sanctioned addresses. Uh, Alchemy and Infura, same thing. They're U.S.-based infrastructure providers. The uh, the, the RPC endpoints were um, uh, basically you know, deactivated on the tornado cash front end. So you know you can still technically get to it, but um, but basically any U.S. software uh, infrastructure or you know financial services is basically cut these addresses off the face of the earth. And um, and again, importantly, these are not tied to individuals, but they're software that anyone can hypothetically use. So what happens for folks that historically had transacted with the address? Uh, that's an open question, um, but we are going to be eagerly waiting any type of additional clarity on, um, on where we go from here. Last not, but not least, um, you know, I, uh, I think if OFAC can extend sanctions to addresses, it certainly seems likely uh, or possible, if not likely, that, uh, that we could see something uh, similar out of uh, FinCEN and their uh, foreign bank account reporting, uh, FBAR reporting requirements when it comes to personal wallets. And that is a real scary thought if, uh, if you have to actually register every single one of your private wallets with the U.S. governments um, or basically have them treated as foreign bank accounts. I would not be surprised about that. I've been talking about that for years to anyone that would listen uh, and hopefully I'm uh, completely out of my mind and it's not something that ultimately comes to fruition. But that is the trajectory that we're on. So uh, with that, I'm going to uh, look at who has requested access here. We have a couple folks. This is a really interesting bio. So I'm going to take a wild stab here at uh, an Anon account, who is a recovering U.S. international litigator, RICO fraud, LQA, ADR litigator. This sounds really interesting. La Professionale requested to speak. Are you a real person? Or are you just scamming us? Unmuted and then remuted. Sounds promising. Ah, uh, still nothing. Rugged again. All right, we've got uh, we've got a couple folks here. Um, Kristen, I'm going to add you, and I'm going to add Carol as well to the folks on the policy side that we should definitely hear from. Hey, Carol. Hi, thanks for adding me in. Carol, you want to go first and then Kristen? 
Um, well, I'd be happy to take a first stab. Uh, obviously, for those of you who don't know me in the audience, uh, I've been working uh, sort of toiling in the field of, of OFAC compliance, anti-money laundering for many years predating crypto and have been in the crypto from almost the beginning on these issues. Um, I'm, to be honest with you, not surprised with the, act, uh, with the action that was taken this week. I think that it's been telegraphed that something coming. Um, I think what people are missing, uh, and I've been saying this in some tweets this week, uh, is there was a very important sentence that was included in the press release yesterday uh, that said that um, uh, Tornado Cash uh, had essentially promised to take certain actions to cut off the money laundering that was happening through the system. Uh, and it was clearly inadequate, the steps that they had taken. And so this is why, I, the, at the end of the day, the Treasury Department relied upon uh, this power that they can marshal through the OFAC sanctions um, to, to do what they did. And I know it seems extraordinary to a lot of people. I know there's been a lot of conversation about First Amendment rights and so on. But I think we've got to take a step back and uh, understand uh, a little bit more about what's going on here. And also the fact that in the U.S. government at this point, um, I, until proven otherwise, there's definitely an assumption that very little in this space is truly decentralized. So as long as there's someone there who can be trying to improve situations, and in this case, cut down, you know, the the abuse and the uh, of American uh, of U.S. Uh, persons, um, uh, that they're trying the best they can to cut off this, you know, the activity that they've seen from the malicious state actors in particular. So uh, I'll leave it at that and be glad to answer questions and go deeper on uh, a number of issues. Great. Kristen? Yeah, no, I think um, Carol had some interesting points. Um, I'm Kristen Smith. I'm with the Blockchain Association. Uh, you know, we're, um, I think we were surprised by it. I mean, maybe maybe we were, we were missing um, some television graphic messages that were coming our way, but uh, this is not something that we had expected, though you, you often don't get much of a heads up uh, by design um, with these sorts of actions. So, um, you know, where we're at right now at the Blockchain Association is we're having conversations with lawyers, we're having conversations with other, um, both crypto and non-crypto organizations, and, and really trying to figure out what are the steps that can be taken from here. Um, and it, it seems to sort of be two phases. Um, you know, one phase is trying to figure out, is there a way um, where we can get some additional guidance or explanation so that those of us operating in this space in the, you know, short to medium term can, you know, have some comfort that, um, you know, if you have, you know, some sort of decentralized protocol and only a very small percentage of it is illicit activity versus, uh, you know, maybe something like uh, Tornado Cash, you know, you know, just trying to find some practical um, way forward for the, how people can, can navigate in the current environment. Um, but really, I think Ryan pointed this out in his earlier conversation that I think there's a decent chance that this ends up... Um, being 
challenged in some way ends up in litigation, you know, what that looks like, how that looks, you know, who's the right person, what, what are the arguments? I mean, I think those are all things that, uh, you know, various lawyers and different organizations are, are looking at right now. Um, that's obviously a much, much longer um, uh, process. Uh, it could take years to go through something like that. Um, but that, that's sort of where, where we're at now. But no, I'm mostly excited to be here today to listen to what other folks have to say. And, um, you know, I also would flag for everybody uh, there are probably people from government on this conversation, so <laughs> just be aware of that. Um, you know, I don't know if there's anybody directly from the Treasury Department, but, um, you know, we're frequently in meetings where um, tweets and Twitter spaces and comments like that um, are often brought up. So I just wanted to flag that for everyone. I can't even imagine the wall of winners that must be hanging in some congressional offices based on I my, mean, my personal tweets. It's, it's your personal tweets have been cited in multiple meetings and i'm i'm not kidding so <laughs> people people listen <laughs> fantastic well said is the wall street journal editorial board so it's 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 getting all the right places um you know uh we have nate here from uh from from uh, zcash uh, i believe electric coin company um but or the zcash foundation I, nate you're, you're gonna have to forgive me on the particular affiliation but um uh i see you're connecting uh, and you are in. Um, you just had Zcon too, man. Uh, this is it's a whirlwind forty-eight hours for you guys. How's it going? Yeah. Hi. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm Nate. I work on Zcash as a developer. Um, <clears throat> I'm really concerned about this very practical issue, which is that people cannot control whether or not they receive funds from Tornado Cash. So this allows anyone around the world to uh, implicate anyone they wish uh, against these sanctions. And so I guess I have two questions. One is, do we know if Treasury understands this fact? And two is, as a U.S. citizen, is there anything you can do to protect yourself uh, about this vulnerability? I mean, I can answer maybe that first part. I, I think it, it's it's a mix. Like, does does OFAC and Treasury know what they're doing? Um, I, I think I think certainly the people who are in the weeds, uh, the professionals at OFAC, I think have a very good sense. Um, my working speculation, and I've told this to multiple people. Please don't quote me on this, but to me, just looking at um, the Secretary of State Blinken's tweets. Um, and the fact that this was like announced from the Treasury Department and from having a few other conversations, I get the sense that this wasn't, you know, sort of a routine OFAC decision, that that really what's happening here is that there was tremendous political pressure to do something about North Korea and that this was, you know, one of the items that, that was picked and, um, you know, that this wasn't you know, designed to be some sort of attack on crypto. It was really designed to be, um, a, you know, a move against um, North Korea. And so, you know, when you have that level of decision being made, I think, you know, those decision makers don't necessarily know uh, what what's going on down in the weeds. Again, that's, that's just kind of my speculation by piecing a few things together. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm certain that 
you know, they have done a legal analysis and, and that they're prepared to defend, uh, you know, their decision. Um, and, and I'm sure that, that, you know, they believe that they have the authority to do this. But, but yeah, whether or not um, those who started the conversation understand it, I, I, I highly doubt it. I, I agree with Kristen that uh, I think that uh, I think they've been looking long and hard at Treasury uh, and at other areas of the government to weigh in on this as to what they can do, what kind of tools do they have available to them. Uh, and I, a lot of what they did was about disruption. But I think what's underlying this, which gives puts them in a little bit different position from a legal position, is um, the fact that this underlying money laundering activity and the fact, as I said earlier, that, uh, you know, if you read, read between the lines of what they've put out, uh, that their view is that this is not really a truly decentralized system. Yes, it may, there may be aspects of it work on a decentralized uh, basis. And as uh, you said, Ryan, about the, you know, funds going, you know, around the world, you know, to different people, you know, that don't have control over this, but have gotten caught up on it vicariously, um, that we're in a situation right now that um, they want to get in the minds of the developers, first and foremost, a certain degree of responsibility. If you're creating code, de developing code, writing code, um, uh, that, you know, you have to think about the implications of the code that you're writing and what's happening with it. And then two, if you're doing something to maintain the system, and clearly somebody was maintaining the Twitter space, somebody's been maintaining the website, um, and as I said, they put out a tweet back in April about the steps that they were taking to try to, to take care of money laundering in the system, and Treasury comes back and says, what you've done hasn't been enough. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's a lot more complicated than just a First Amendment, this is a code issue. Gus, uh, you've been in the belly of the beast at DHS, uh, Department of Homeland Security, and, uh, and we're working on some of these issues at both Circle and Paradigm. Um, what's, uh, and, and now true, I assume, that you're not totally out of the game, but what, what, what's, what's your uh, general take on uh, the next couple of quarters, couple of years? Like, how, how does this ultimately play out? Or are we just basically at the mercy of OFAC and, uh, and whatever addresses they deem national security threats for the foreseeable future? Or is this no. isolated? It's it's uh it's such an interesting question, Ryan, and and let me let me address Nate's question just very quickly, and then uh, get into a few points in response to yours. Nate's question is a really good one because we've already seen. I think Ryan mentioned this at the top of the call that Summonon is is shooting dust at high profile um, uh, ETH accounts from Tornado, right? So that shows us two things. Uh, one of them is that, uh, as Nate said, people can be on the receiving end of sort of the exit wallet address from uh, from Tornado, and there's no way to to knock that down, right? And and I think Nate's question was, God, what can I do about that? Because everything Ryan said at the top of the call is 100% correct. Uh, this is a division of the U.S. government that you do not want to mess with. Uh, uh, massive fines, potential criminal uh, penalties, uh, which incidentally makes it very difficult to gin up somebody with standing 
to bring a suit against this because who wants to put themselves at risk about this? But Nate, I think the quick answer to your question is what is prohibited is a transaction. And I hope that the government will understand that a transaction involves some sort of action from the person rather than passive receipt. Though uh, I think uh, a a lot of the, the advice that people have been giving on Twitter is that if you are Jimmy Kimmel, uh, or or maybe it was another one of the Jimmies who's a late night host who received some of this e through uh, through the tornado uh, protocol today that you consult a lawyer before you do anything with it. So uh, that's the first topic. I mean, I, I think zooming out, Ryan, uh, today sort of proves one of the things that that a lot of uh, of, uh, of us have been saying for a while, which is. There's this perception that the SEC is the big dog in the junkyard because they have been on this beat for a long time. But I think crypto's final boss uh, is really OFAC uh, and the other branches of Treasury that derive their power from this statute called IEPA, which is the uh, the International Emergency Economic uh, Authorities Act. Uh, uh, Essentially, that gives... The government very, very broad authority to sanction, stop, uh, you know, throw a blanket over the, any transaction that uh, the president through the Treasury Secretary determines runs counter to national security. So the, the problem here is, you know, we have competing legitimate interests. We have a very strong interest in the privacy of our transaction. I mean, Vitalik tweeted today that uh, he used Tornado to make uh, ETH donations to Ukraine. And you could imagine that someone in Russia who wants to donate to Ukraine would want to obscure the fact that his or her ETH wallet is, is the, the source of those funds, right? Uh, we have heard from other folks who develop uh, protocols that uh, when they deploy a contract, they don't want to show that a doxed address is funding that contract or testing that contract because then everyone sort of flocks to that contract. They want to do it through clean funds. That's another legitimate use of Tornado. And and, uh, other folks have have listed dozens of these. But we also have a super strong interest in not having our protocols be used to fund the North Korean nuclear regime. I mean, as a national security guy and a crypto guy, I have my, my brain is battling these two interests here. Uh, so we have sweeping authority under IEPA. The Treasury used this executive order that President Obama signed regarding cybersecurity that refers to persons being sanctioned. And that goes to back to another point that you mentioned, Ryan, which is, is, is it possible that this protocol... Uh, is a person. That's not fleshed out in either the order or the press release. And the main problem that I see as we hash out, whether it be in litigation or otherwise, these competing interests is there is no discernible limit, that, at least that I can see, if we start calling protocols people, and therefore we have sanctions authority over them, and any protocol that is used in a cyber attack as uh, as as uh, this one was is is susceptible to sanction 
I mean, as we know, and I'm not suggesting anything to Treasury or anyone else, but most cyber ransomware um, uh, ransoms are requested in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is is a network. Bitcoin addresses have been blocked before. They've been blocked when associated when associated with a particular person or entity in the past. But we're establishing a different precedent here. So, uh, uh, more questions than answers. Hopefully, shedding a little bit of light on the massive authority of the United States under IEPA to. Um, uh, to levy these types of sanctions. And I, I guess the last point is, I think this will light a fire. I hope this will light a fire. And we have one already under developers in the industry, some of whom I'm working with and other folks on the on the call are working with, to develop alternate uh, privacy-protecting technologies. Mike Mosier, who's a, uh, a friend and, and former colleague, uh, wrote, uh, a great piece a few weeks ago about about using ZK and other privacy protecting technologies that may get us out of this morass. But with that, I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Yeah, I, I guess the other uh, the question that I had is, you know, is there is there any ability for either developers to essentially just spin up a new contract address, right? You know, fork the code, spin up a new contract address. Um, and, uh, and essentially just redirect people to new contract addresses and, and, and force Treasury to play this game of whack-a-mole on the one hand. On the other hand, um, is it possible for Treasury to just, you know, uh, fire up their, their, you know, go through their chain analysis and, and elliptic accounts and add another, you know, thousand addresses to the OFAC list yeah. overnight and then post them? What's, what's the limit here? Or will they be tight about this for the time being? You know, it's it's a great, great question. I think the, the hazard of uh, Treasury adding more addresses to the list uh, of, of people who have been, you know, sent ETH inadvertently or by, you know, by someone else through the mixer, through Tornado, it is actually fairly low. But my main worry, Ryan, is that uh, sort of the non-regulatory response is going to be appropriately over-cautious and over-broad, right? Uh, I mean, Jeremy, as you said, Jeremy wrote about this before. You can imagine that, uh, you know, Chainalysis may have trouble discerning what they flag as a risky address between people who have, you know, not initiated the tornado transaction and those who actually did initiate the tornado transaction. Uh, Chainalysis and other analytic tools like that are probably not going to stop at just the listed addresses, but they'll do what they do, which is look one, two, and three hops away. So th this this will this will uh, sweep people inadvertently, I think, into uh, a wallet they, that may not be as useful <laughs> as as perhaps it was uh, before. Uh, and we've got to figure out a way to uh, to sort of work through that. On the on the first question. I think devs can spin up, uh, you know, uh, if you're asking as a technical matter, of course they can. Uh, as, as a risk-adjusted matter, should they? Uh, God, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm probably one of the more conservative people on the call, but, but I, I, I wouldn't do so because, you know, as uh, GitHub took down the code base, uh, you know, th th that could be 
you know, using the property of the sanctioned entity if Tornado is actually an entity and the code was actually their property. All right. Um, well, we got a couple uh, fresh uh, perspectives and, and speakers here. Uh, we got Josh from MobileCoin, um, and then uh, I believe we got Adam as well, uh, who's a general counsel over at, at uh, Fractional Art, has, has spent some time in, um, in, uh, in, in government, I believe, as well. So uh, Adam or yeah, sir, Josh? I just want to make a quick point. point. Um, yeah. My quick point is that back in April, Tornado Cash started implementing a Chainalysis Oracle on all of the Tornado Cash interfaces that they controlled. The problem is that Tornado Cash is an interface that's on tornado.cash, the website, but it's also a smart contract that operates on Ethereum. And while Tornado Cash, the company, can prevent people from using their tools that they design to access the contract, the contract is live on Ethereum even right now. So anyone can still use that contract. So I think this is the really interesting piece where Tornado Cash actually invoked a Chainalysis Oracle starting back in April, and that still wasn't enough. So that's the thing that I think people really need to key into. Well, and I think on that point, what they were doing is they were interceding those coming into the system. But as you said, it really wasn't going to the smart contract. And um, I think there are some other points that we should be keeping our eyes open for because, and again, whether you call it telegraphing, it's been said publicly or in public arena, uh, some of the concerns that the government still has, one of which is they don't think, for example, it, the miners are doing enough to, um, to look at the transactions that are coming into the miners. Uh, so if they're coming in from from North Korea, you know that they should be blocking them and not 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 um, processing the transaction. Um, uh, so I think this is definitely a first and fairly bold move, but I don't think it's the last we're going to see. But most of the miners are not in the U.S. Yeah. Um. Adam, uh, did you have a question that you wanted to? No, I just wanted to highlight the point that I think Josh made and Gus made, and I think it often gets lost. But the distinction in blockchain applications between the protocol and the front ends, you know, the websites, the user interfaces that people use to access those protocols are two very different things. And I don't think it's often appreciated necessarily within the industry and certainly within policy circles and regulatory circles, how those two things operate to kind of form a user's experience in interacting with the protocol, but doing it through a front end. And I think this is a prime example where when you read the press release, it's really unclear to me whether they sanctioned the protocol thinking that they were sanctioning the front end. Um, because as Joshua explained, like exactly, the protocol is still operating. Like you could still transact through Tornado Cash. You just have to go to a block explorer or some other way with which to interact with those smart contracts. But you can't shut down the smart contracts. And I think as we continue to think about 
the role that protocols play and the role that front ends play, that is a really important thing for everyone to appreciate because you have significantly less control over a protocol. And oftentimes smart contract developers code protocols such that they cannot change the code base. And that is for security reasons. That's for a lot of legitimate reasons. And then once I think it's a question of, I think about it as like regulating browsers versus regulating the internet itself. And there are different regulations for the things that are the clients and different regulations for the things that carry the signals. And I think we have to have some understanding and policy circles of the difference between the two. Yeah, uh, so you know, Rome and the found one of the founders of Tornado Cash, at, I think earlier this year, uh, around the same time, uh, maybe as, as they'd implemented Chainalysis, it, it said something about um, some of the effective is technically impossible to enforce sanctions uh, against a, a, an open protocol like Tornado Cash, uh, but it's certainly not practically impossible, right? And 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 so I think that the practical issue here is, um, are we going to have mixing services available to you know folks in the U.S. and and are uh, people going to be able to uh, add privacy enhancing um, tech over time, either you know protocols or um, uh, or, or kind of you know, individual products, or are they going to be able to add like the HTTPS version of the browser, uh, or are we going to be stuck in HTTP hell for the, uh, the the indefinite future so that everything is, is constantly surveillable? And this is the core question of, I think, the next you know 10 to 25 years. What privacy rights, if any, do Americans or citizens around the globe have? Do yep. we have any right to privacy whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, it is a privacy security trade-off. So it's not, it's not, it is fairly dystopian, uh, I, I would argue, but it, it is also understandable in this particular case, given that potentially 20% uh, of the proceeds, at least according to Elliptic and, and their analysis, I'm not sure about chain analysis or, or if anyone else is going to run similar um, uh, you know, transaction analysis for, for Tornado in particular, but it, it does seem you know, maybe up to 20% of the transactions that went through were for illicit or suspicious flag transactions, um, which you know, still means that 80% is legitimate. Um, so are we going to you know, throw, throw the baby out with the bathwater here? Um, maybe, maybe not, but like, what is that threshold that people, and, and, and what is the, the risk that people are willing to accept for you know, digital cash transactions that are fully private. I, I think this gets back to the like money movement in general. Like what percentage of money movement do we as, if as a society we want to have like some semblance of privacy, which I think we do, then is there an amount of illicit activity that is acceptable? If the answer is no, then we don't have a right to privacy as a society. And I think it's a really dangerous place to navigate ourselves into. Well, you're not going to hear me object. We have uh, we have another question here from uh, from Matt. Let me add him as a speaker. Matt is a journalist. For those that don't know, so be on your best behavior. Welcome, Matt. What you got for us? Hey, Ryan. Thank you so much for doing this, um, and everyone else who's chipping in um, on the regulatory and legal front. Really appreciate the um, context. I'm looking at the list of. Um, the 
specially designated nationals in this case. And it's, you know, as you might know or not, it's just a, a list of ETH addresses. And then there's some US dollar coin addresses. What do we know about those addresses? Are, do we know that they're linked to the North Koreans? Um, and then how does the US dollar coin kind of mix in with that? And then just thirdly, Roman Semenov, you know, has said that he's not, you know, he's not on this list. So I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around about what Treasury is trying to do here um, with this list of addresses, if that makes sense. I think they're they're just trying to chill activity around the the mixing service itself, much like they did with Blender. Uh, would be would be my sense, and and basically just send a message that uh, people need to be careful about which which addresses and which you know anonymized individuals they interact with on crypto and crypto transactions are not above the law and, and their purview uh, would, would be my two cents. I, I, I don't really overthink it. I'd take them at face value that they do want to limit the amount of uh, illicit funding that's getting into North Korea. Uh, but I don't know if anyone else has, has anything to add there. It it's, seems pretty cut and dry. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is they basically sanction the list of smart contract addresses that make up the Tornado Cash protocol. Um, but I think the question fundamentally that you just raised, Ryan, about does this limit the flow of funds into North Korea? I mean, presumably the answer is yes. But I think it also gets to the important point that I assume North Korea, with their level of sophistication, is figuring out other ways to interact with Tornado Cash. Granted, the pools with with you know, ETH was in Tornado Cash pools is quite possibly severely just like diminished as a result of this or, or made much more difficult as a result of this. But I don't think, and this isn't my area, but I, I don't think this necessarily stops North Korea from using a service like this. And I think that's an important thing not to lose sight of. It might make it harder. It might make it a little bit slower. But I don't think that this ends the threat of North Korea using even tornado cash, despite the fact that it's sanctioned, um, to still achieve the ends that they want. Completely agree, Adam. I think that's a great point. Obviously, the contract still exists. It will always exist, presumably. And North Korea uh, can presumably still use it. I think what this action does is it seeks to prevent U.S. persons funding the liquidity pools in tornado through the sanction. So there's... Uh, I guess, less clean money, less non-DPRK ETH in the pools, which may make it easier to trace or harder to use for North Korea. But this this prevents inflows from U.S. persons rather than outflows to uh, inflows and outflows to and from North Korea. Kristen, uh, Gus, uh, we had a, we had a few more minutes. One, one of my last questions here: uh, Am I crazy, uh, or are we going to see basically a redux of this with FBAR reporting, with travel rule extensions? Um, you know, it 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 feels like those are three different paths that Treasury and and their related entities internationally can take to really crack down on peer-to-peer finance without the SEC's involvement, to your point, Gus. Uh, 
looking in the crystal ball, I don't I don't know if you're right about that, Ryan, but it, it, it seems of a piece with what we have and Kristen has, has been on the front lines of dealing with uh, before uh, and you mentioned this before when it comes to the broker reporting requirement, right? Uh, there, there seems to be a tendency either through uh, uh, through actual thoughtful uh, action from the government or inadvertence of trying to require uh, decentralized platforms, code running on the internet to do things that really only people or entities can do. <laughs> so I don't know if that trend is going to continue, but I think your question suggests that uh, that there there are some places that that Treasury may hopscotch to try to do it uh, to do it uh, over the next. I just want to say, I just want to say that we've been here before. We had the crypto wars in the '90s, where the government attempted to outlaw all encryption. We had you know Zimmerman and PGP and all the things that happened in the '90s, and ultimately encryption won. So what I think is going to happen is that for the next 10 to 20 years, we have a fight to see whether people have a right to any privacy in this life. And I think it's a very, very important fight. Really, a really good book on the subject uh, is called Crypto, How the Code Rebels Beat the Government. Um, for, for anyone that's looking at how the, uh, the crypto wars played out in the 90s, I do think it's a little bit different this time. Uh, it's scary that it was not a slam dunk uh, to win that battle in the 90s, but uh, money to nuclear armed rogue states seems like a different form of speech than you know memes on the internet, unfortunately. So I, I do wonder if the balance of power has shifted here. And um, and uh, you know to to Gus's earlier point, this seems like an order of magnitude more important battle that's going to be fought the next couple of years. And the issue is it is going to take years. So what happens in the meantime? Um, for, uh, for, for many of these solutions, because if you just look at uh, from a material standpoint, the top 25 assets by market cap, they're all currencies, stable coins or layer ones, pretty much. Um, uh, you know, I think the only one, you know, in DeFi out of that mix, it's in, in the top applications is, is probably Uniswap, but from a percentage of the industry standpoint and mindshare, um, the SEC and, you know, their their battles here are mostly around DeFi and other, you know, kind of uh, assets that have raised funds and, and then ultimately distributed uh, tokens to uh, an ecosystem for ownership of uh, a community governed application, not necessarily, uh, you know, coming after Ethereum and related, you know, contract platforms. Um, so to, to me, the, the one choke point that we're going to see is going to be around, uh, who is allowed to transact in these systems, and uh, and how do they create their whitelists and blacklists? We shall see. We got smarter people on the policy side than I. Uh, a couple more minutes here. Ooh, we have uh, Alexander, uh, who just chimed in. So maybe give him uh, one uh, one comment here before we uh, we call it a night. Alex from Tiger Hill. Floor is yours. You're on mute. I'm going to kick you out unless you respond because it's almost ten o'clock. Hey, all. Um, I think the missing piece here that we we haven't touched on really at all is 
the congressional piece. Right now, Congress is out for uh, for August recess, and so there's been somewhat of an absence of anyone on the Hill uh, opining on uh, whether this was the right thing to do, whether the implementation was correct or not. There's a lot of, I think, pretty fierce privacy advocates on on the Hill. Senator Biden is has been a, a uh, proponent of encryption and, and privacy for, for quite some time and also uh, of crypto more recently. So I think it's going to be interesting and, and, and difficult to uh, draw the line appropriately with congressional offices to say we have a right to privacy and we shouldn't be just randomly sanctioning um, individual smart contracts while also drawing the distinction that we as an industry are good actors, mature, and um, are against any sort of money laundering or anything of that nature. Because the folks, folks like uh, Chris and her team have, have worked very hard to, I think, um, change a lot of minds on the Hill um, to that extent. And it's, it's important to make sure that our, our fight for privacy doesn't uh, inadvertently hinder our efforts to uh, educate people about this new financial system. Agreed. All right. Well, we'll give you the last word there. Um, Kristen, Gus, any, uh, any last thoughts? Just thanks for having us up, Ryan. Uh, great conversation. Really appreciate it. Yep. Likewise. Um, it always helps me to hear what other people are saying. So um, uh, happy to be a part of this. Thank you. Kristen, along with a bunch of the other policy gurus down in DC, will be at Mainnet in a few weeks. So I will give my plug here as we call it a night. For those that haven't purchased your tickets, there's going to be 4,000 professionals in New York in about five and a half weeks for Mainnet 2022. Uh, we're going to have uh, quite a bit of policy uh, discussions. It's going to be a little bit sexier than usual because everybody's scared. So, you know, fear, sex, and greed. Uh, we're well past the greed phase. And uh, I've been told that they're, uh, well, I'm not going to get into that. I don't want to get canceled for anything that I'm going to say related to the second pillar, but uh, it's definitely a fearful environment. So we want to keep people safe and out of jail and uh, hopefully have a little fun. So 4,000 people, 200 speakers. I know how to throw a party, right, Kristen? Uh, yeah, it's a good time. Oh, that was, that was, (laughs) that, the tone of that, how can you say no? All right, everybody, with that, one more resounding endorsement. If uh, you would like to go to Mainnet, we have a special code, $300 off, Selkis 300, use that at mainnet.events. Just giving shit away. Good job, Becky. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Stay safe. Do not transact with the North Koreans because the government will come and get you. Ciao.